millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in the studio today with uh, another one-name guest. We're just going to call him Brother Silas. Brother Silas is from the nation of Turkmenistan, and I don't think uh, in the history of Voice of the Martyrs Radio we've ever had someone from Turkmenistan before, so this will be a very interesting conversation, very uh, insightful about a part of the world that most of us aren't very familiar with. Brother Silas, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Uh, let's talk about growing up in Turkmenistan. You experienced the transition from part of the Soviet Union to now an independent country. What was that like, or, or what did that transition change for the people of the country? Yeah, du- during the Soviet time, you know, I was born in 73, you know, almost— uh, last uh, how many years 20 20 years of soviet union i experienced communist regime in turkmenistan the people you know even though majority are muslim muslim people in in turkmenistan and the culture culture is a, is the middle eastern or the islamic uh, most of the time but also people adapted into russian kind of a communist culture there too and I, all of a sudden in 1990 i was like just graduating from high school uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, and for a lot of people, it was like a restarting their lives. I mean, it was in a lot of uncertainty and, and losing everything, kind of restarting all every aspect of their lives, you know, in, with a new country. For us, it was like a uncertainty how 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 life will continue after the Soviet Union. Your you know, kind of normal normalcy of communities and life. All of a sudden, changed. You was know. there excitement too? Like, like, like we're our own country. We're in control now. Or was in, there fear? What? Yeah, or, I think the majority of the population. It was like, why this happened? We want to stay. Kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, in in Soviet Union because you know their lifestyle change, and then a lot of uncertainty. You know how? What kind of future is expecting? Is it is it going to be like Afghanistan or other, you know, troubled countries? Or are we going to do all right, you know, on our own? That was, I think, the overall mindset Lots in of a questions. lot of people's. Yeah. Growing up in Turkmenistan, your adopted mom would would teach you Muslim prayers mm-hmm. and some verses from the Quran. Yeah. This is during the Soviet time, so yeah. so they're not looking to promote religion. They're not looking to no. promote Islam. So at the time, did you feel like that was something? sort of secret or dangerous, or how was that to kind of have that Islamic teaching at the same time you're in a country where they don't want you to be religious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the mainly what they did, like uh, Islam in Soviet Union, and particularly in Turkmenistan, was practiced more in the culture, the lifestyle people, you know, weddings, burial, you know, births, uh, giving names, you know, always uh, in, involved some elements of Islamic culture and uh, traditions. And I think that over the years, Turkmen people learned 
how to kind of appease the communist regime, not not to like oppose openly, but finding ways how to they can practice and pass their religion to their next generation. In in a sense, in some traditions, they try to keep the secrecy from the communist regime. I remember, for example, my my dad, adoptive dad, was a, a communist party member, and he had a position in the local government, and in the village, and he. He wanted to organize a ceremony for uh, the uh, like a circumcision ceremony, and you know that was a kind of a forbidden. It, it seemed they closed the gates of our house and let the people from the back door come in and celebrate, <laughs> kind of in a secretive way, but still. Uh, and then they did a big celebration, but they called it his birthday. But he was fulfilling the uh, circumcision tradition in Islam for his son, but he wasn't telling that. So he didn't openly. want to appear to be yeah. religious yes. at all. He just wanted yeah. it to be, oh, yeah, it's his yeah. birthday. We're having a party. Yeah, that's that's how they, they handle you know some of the tensions between you know communist Interesting. Uh, regime. Yeah. Silas, as a young man, you, you said you were an atheist in your head, but you were a Muslim in your heart. Tell me what that means. You know, like I, as I grew up, uh, my mom, she tried to do all the right things and, you know, her character was excellent. And at and the same time, she, she tried to also like um, practice some of the traditions of Islam, taught me some of the prayers and different things. But as I grew up and became a teenager, I tried to find the answers to my questions, like uh, spiritual questions, like why there's a death, if there's Allah, God, then why he's so far away, no no closeness and how I can stand before him. And, and I couldn't like uh, find uh, answers to my all those questions within Islam. But then all the schools in Turkmenistan at that time was a communist school. The teachers taught you that there's no God, even though they were also themselves like cultural Muslim, but they're supposed to tell and teach uh, atheism. And since I couldn't find the uh, answer, right answers that uh, satisfied my soul, I thought maybe, you know, the atheism makes sense. There's no God that people created this religion. We're culturally Muslim. That's why I became, like, more atheist. And I remember, like, uh, for example, when uh, Soviet Union collapsed and then some uh, religiosity was, like, uh, encouraged now uh, in the independent Turkmenistan, I saw, like, my classmates or some of my friends were, like, doing fasting, doing the Ramadan and being, like, more religious. And I was like laughing and because it didn't make a sense for me since I, I thought this, like I had this mindset of atheist, even though I, I felt like I'm still Muslim because I'm a Turkmen and this is our culture. So it's very much was an identity thing. Yes. I, I'm a Turkmen. Yes. All Turkmen are Muslims. Yeah. So I'm a Muslim. Yeah, that's even that's, if I don't believe it, even if I don't practice right. it. It's just part of who I am. Uh-huh. That's, that's uh, I think, the reality for many, many people uh, around the world, and particularly from the former Soviet countries. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, identify themselves the same way. They not necessarily practice practices of Islam mm-hmm. actively. They have a kind of a life of an atheist, you know, you can say. But then, but the if moment, you ask them, they would the, say, "The oh, moment I'm a you ask them, yeah, or moment you, they they hear the about the gospel or Christianity, they say, oh, 'Oh, I'm a Muslim,' you know, 
and I don't want to. I don't want to. I haven't been else. to a mosque in the last twenty years, but I'm a Muslim. Don't <laughs> right. talk to me yes. about Jesus. That's that's yeah, that's that's a reality. Yeah, for many and that's people. that's as you say, that's true. A lot of places in the world. Well, I've heard that from Turks. I've heard it from mm-hmm. you know Malays in Malaysia. Oh well, I'm you yeah. know that's a part of who I am. Yeah. So you're a practical atheist, but a heart Muslim. Yeah. And your brother-in-law tells you that he's now following Jesus. Yeah. What did you think of that? How did you respond to that? Yeah, it was interesting that we, like, we never talked even about uh, Allah or Islamic uh, religion, traditions, anything about about our religion with him. You know, but all of a sudden he, he, he says that he's a follower of Christ. That shocked me. That statement really shocked me. And I was like... Uh, what are you talking about? This is, from my understanding, the Christianity was mainly practiced by Russians or Slavic people, because I think it's again we grew up only knowing Christians, and on the TV and you know some of the books we we saw those big you know Orthodox church buildings right. with the crosses and icons and Russian priests, you know, in, in their like a. Uh, Amazing closings and you know different rituals. And was your perception of the Russians that they were the invaders? They were the ones who had come into your country, and yeah. so why would you worship the god of these yeah. people who yes, invaded that's, us? That's another yeah thinking behind that is like you know it's it's their religion. They're not Turkmen, and Turkmen's supposed to be Muslim. And now you you coming and trying to attack our religion and culture, and that that was. You know, that's why I felt like I need to now fight against that, even though I wasn't, like, really practicing Muslim right. at that time. You still needed to defend yeah, the faith. You, you still, yeah. You, that's why, like, a lot of, uh, you know, even not practicing Muslim will feel the same way in the moment they, they hear about the Christianity or the gospel. I was the same way, you know. Then I was threatening him, angry at him, and asking a lot of questions just to shut him up. Whatever he said, even few words that he—because he was just— few days ago, he accepted Christ. He didn't know a lot about Christianity, but, you know, even few stories about Jesus and and the words of Jesus really started touching my heart because I never met a, such a person like him. I never heard of those stories, you know. I can say, like, I think overall in Islamic context, even in open, uh, more practicing uh, places, you know, uh, countries, they don't teach a lot about Jesus. And that's why, like, People don't have any knowledge or little knowledge. And for our case, since we, you know, no education on, on on religion, we didn't have any knowledge about Jesus. We knew him as a prophet, distantly. You know, even any other prophets like a David, and we knew their names, few stories here and there, but very limited. That because of that, uh, my view. Of Christianity was like it's it belongs to Russians and it's a Russian religion. So Silas, your brother-in-law says, "Hey, I'm following Christ." Your first response is, "Well, hey, I need to defend Islam. This this person has made a terrible mistake." Yeah. How did Jesus get a hold of you? How did you make that decision? Okay, I, this is really true. I'm going to follow Jesus as well. Yeah, even though I rejected Christianity as being Russian religion or the foreign foreign religion, the person of Christ, uh, the stories about his his life, what he did, and then some of his teach you know teachings that he was sharing, really attracted me to him. I wanted to know more, and then at that time, there was a Jesus film, uh, which is based in the Gospel of Luke, dubbed into Turkmen, 
we didn't know about it, who did it, you know, how it was done. And, and it was avail- available. God, you know, orchestrated everything. And my brother, uh, my father-in-law actually bought a first uh, VHS player in his village. <laughs> and that was a rare commodity, you know, right after this collapse of Soviet Union. And very few people had it. But, you know, God orchestrated everything. And they, they get hold of that, that movie. And the moment I started watching the movie, I heard Jesus speaking Turkmen. And hearing... Jesus speaking my tongue, my language. The gospel became real, not only knowledge to my head, but it was like personal, and it was touching my soul, my heart. And as I watched the movie, the life of Christ, everything he did, his perfect holy life, his teachings, and and his death and resurrection answered all my questions that I had. About, you know, from young age, I, I was scared of death. I was worried about my sins and how I can stand before, you know, judgment's throne of God. Whether, is there going to be like eternal life? How, how we can, you know, solve this dilemma of death and all was answered in Jesus Christ. And one of the challenges of Islam is there's no way to know for sure what's going to happen to you after you die. Yeah, there's a, like a, I grew up uh, hearing the story or the, the concept of how to crossing over to heaven. And there's a concept in Islam and teaching says that there's a bridge between hell and to, to the heaven. The bridge is thinner than hair, sharper than sword, sharpest sword in the world. And there's a fire underneath of that bridge. If you have enough good works and if you followed everything, maybe you can make through through that bridge. Maybe. Maybe. And there's no guarantee. And it's, it was very scary and, and still scary for many, many people. And you, you, you live in, like, in that hopelessness. And that, that was my condition. But Jesus answered. He said, you know, you worried you about the death. Jesus said, I came and I conquered the death. I, I died for your sins, for your punishment. And through his resurrection, he proved his eternal life. And he gives eternal life to everyone who believes and the peace that I longed, you know, I didn't have this peace in my heart. Even though I grew up like an only child, in a lot of ways, like a, in Islamic cultures, the male sons are spoiled in many ways. If you only son, it's like you, you know, you spoiled extra. And even though I had those, you know, privileges, still my heart was empty and meaningless and the moment I, I accepted Christ into my heart, I experienced this peace and joy I never experienced before. And Jesus says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I give you my rest. That, that resonated powerfully in my soul. And his words, you know, come, even you die, I will resurrect you. You know, I am the resurrection, and, and I am the way, truth, and life. And all those words, like, really answered all my questions, and I was ready to give my life to So did you make the decision, uh, like, as you're watching the film, you're like, I am, I'm in 100%, yeah. or was there, like, a decision period after you saw the no, film? No, no, I, I, I think I watched twice the Jesus <laughs> film. The first time and the second time when I watched, the, the Holy Spirit really Amen. touched my heart. And in the end of the movie, I... I accepted Christ and prayed with a prayer, and I believed in him. 
and then experience that joy and peace. Amen. I want to talk again about just the the significance of the fact that Jesus was on the screen speaking Turkmen, speaking your language. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about the fact, you know, Jesus is the God of the Russians. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the God of the Westerners. Here he is on the screen speaking Turkmen. I mean, it just must have almost blown your mind. Yeah, it did. It it was like amazing, you know, understanding that God speaks my language. And and all of a sudden, like, God is so close to you, and he knows you. He knows your soul, your your struggles, your, you know. Even before you know him, he knows you. You know, he created me, and now he's so close. When you, when you hear God speak your language, then you can relate to him. And and experiencing that was amazing. And uh, while you think that in, in, in Islam, especially also, like, uh, you have to pray in Arabic. You have to read his word in Arabic. You you know, it's a distant God. It's a foreign God to you. It's not like, you know, you don't have this relationship. But here, Jesus speaks my language, my heart language, and he, he knows me. And and then having this personal relationship. You know, in Islam, God never approaches you. You know, you always approach him. You always seek him. Or you always please him. But in, in Christianity, in gospel, in Jesus, God entered this world. And he came to us to save us. And, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a glorious gospel because of that. So you get to the end of that film the second time. You, you know, I'm going to follow Christ. Was there any consideration or any thought of this is going to cost me? Like this is not going to be a popular decision. Uh, you know, what is my family going to say? What? That moment, those questions didn't cross my mind at all. You know, I was overwhelmed with joy, peace, this good news. I went to my village. Like, you know, in the story of Samaritan woman, Jesus uh, meets her and reveals himself to her, and she runs to the town telling everyone, you know, uh, about Jesus. Similar way, you know, I was rejoicing and went to my village. I started talking about Jesus nonstop, uh, my experience, you know, what I learned. Uh, My mother, who was 75 years old that time, whole her life she was you know muslim she was waiting for that news good news and the moment she heard about the gospel she gave her life to christ and some of my siblings some of the neighbors you know responded to the gospel you know initially um several friends accepted christ but all of a sudden as i saw more people in our village started hearing the gospel some people started responding negatively and at some cases with anger and so you know. what what was the pushback because your argument with your brother-in-law was that's a foreign god yeah. we don't do that here i'm a turkman mm-hmm. of course i'm a muslim is that the same thing you it heard? was the same most of the time that's that was the same response actually it's very funny they started like making a rumors or the gossips about me they said silas became a Ru- russian priest and he has a cross on his neck and he's like converting people into Christianity or Russian religion. That was a you know overall talk. So it's like among, stay away from him. Yes, he's stay away he's from become him. a spy. Yes, he's a Russian yeah, now. Yeah. He's Yeah, that's that's mainly the response of people because they don't they don't you know they have the same understanding uh, about the religion. The yeah. other thing that's really fascinating to me about your story is your brother-in-law talked to you after he'd only been 
like three days yeah. walking with Christ. Yeah. You immediately went out and started talking to your mom, to the rest yeah. of the village. There must just be such a sense of excitement yes. coming out of the bondage of Islam, coming to a Jesus who speaks your language, yeah. that you like couldn't help yourself but tell everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the impact of uh, the gospel in, in, in our lives and, and finding answers to those questions— you know, about the salvation of the soul and the death, the conquering death of Jesus, you know, resurrecting from death, promising eternal life, uh, forgiveness of sins, uh, those concepts. I mean, it's foreign. We never heard about those, and so many people never heard, and that's why we were excited to to share that that, that good news with, with our people. And it was a natural, like a, the Bible says, like a joy of a salvation, you know. It's like you— you have this joy in you that is not based on your own things. It's from God, you know, because God revealed his love to you, revealed his salvation, and and revived your spirit through his Holy Spirit. And now you're, like, filled with joy, and you can't stop talking about him, you know. That was a, that was the experience that I had. And nobody told me even, like, go, you have to now evangelize. Or you have to be, you know, in order to be a good disciple, you have to evangelize, you have to share. Nobody, like, discipled us or told us, but it was a, like, pure, you know, Holy Spirit giving this joy of salvation and experience of salvation in Christ. And then we were naturally going and talking about it. And I remember, like, if you read the Gospel of John, you know, there's a few episodes where, like, uh, you know, Andrew and John and Peter, they find each other and they bring them to Christ. You know, that was the same way. Like, we didn't know a lot. Like, theologically, we were not uh, learning uh, because we're new believers. We're first believers, you can say, uh, in entire, like, five million people, maybe we're first five, six, ten believers wow. in entire nation at that time. And So yeah. how much of the Bible was available to you? I was given first the Word of God as a, like a little uh, New Testament, uh, Gideon's Bible, they call it, with the Psalms in it, in Russian. In Russian. Like a pocket okay. book. But it was in Russian. Right. It's like, again, you know, you proving my case. You know, God, God is Russian. His Word is like also in Russian. Look at it. You know, there's no word in Turkmen. But later, I think the 1994, the... Gospels were translated into Turkmen was available in the capital city. Somehow they hold on, get hold of one Bible in Turkmen, New Testament actually. And it was uh, shared among like maybe 50, 60 believers in that wow. time in early days. Yeah. And, and we didn't have anything else. And, but later on, you know, we, we were given like a New Testament in, in Turkmen when, you know, especially when I went to capital city. So... You knew the the day would come. You mm-hmm. would have to pay a price. Right. You mentioned some in the village now are mm-hmm. starting to push back. Right. What did that look like when when they pushed back? You they started rumors about you. Did they actually come like physically and attack you, or there was no uh, no physical attacks, but like ostracizing you and some of my friends like uh, didn't want to you know have friendship with me anymore, and some people didn't want to talk and. Some of my relatives, you know, kind of giving a cold shoulder and not not happy about me. My own dad was against it. 
he wasn't like a religious at all. My biological dad, I mean, he was like more, you know, same way, atheist mindset. But I didn't like it. And I had some issues like a more like kind of threatening and people getting angry at me in my neighborhood, you know, like neighbors. Some of the teenagers came to the Lord like a 13 years old, 14 years old, you know. Um, and then we had a small youth group, you can call it. The, their parents responded very harshly, and they they came to me and they were threatening, angry at me, you know, why are you doing this? And but later, like after I moved to capital city, I went uh, to university, studied international law, and became a lawyer, and also was leading little congregation or fellowship within a Russian registered like official church. Mm-hmm. We had that, and so you had some legal protection because you were under the Russian yes, church. Okay, yeah. not more people uh, were coming attracted into into Christianity when it was in the, within the Russian church because it, it proves their case. Right, you know, the misunderstanding. See, it's foreign. Yes, they say like, "Oh, yeah, you're inviting us into Russian church," and for them, it was hard to understand that uh, you know Jesus didn't come like bring the Russian culture or a different culture. He bring he brings a transformation of lives um, and character and new life in him. To communicate that, we later on ended up like going into the villages and saying that this is not, not Russian. It's, you can speak in your language. You can sit like, like yourself. You can worship God in your own culture, uh, but based on the truth. You know, That's why I later on God called me into kind of a full-time ministry. I was a lawyer at the Minister of Foreign Economic Relations. I left my job to uh, preach the gospel and establish churches uh, in the capital city and surrounding areas. And there, at that moment, when I got engaged in that, then I started having, you know, severe persecution. In Turkmenistan, people, most majority are more open and welcoming. I think, again, the being more... I think secular country in a sense, you know, and then and then cultural Islam. That's why they were not violent, violent mm-hmm. as a community. I can say they're more tolerant. But I think the the persecution mainly started coming from the government itself, which is cultural Islamist trained by the communists. trained by communists. <laughs> you know, mixture of that. Yes, and then and that's that's how they they started like persecuting me and my family and several others. Now, when you came to faith, were you already married or did you marry after you came to faith? No, I was married and I was. we were expecting second child. So um, how did your wife experience the transformation in your life? Actually, we uh, she accepted the Lord a couple days earlier than me. She watched Jesus film first time and that's it. She, she accepted Christ. I, I watched the second time, second day or something. Wow. And then, then I, I accepted So the you experienced the transformation yeah, together. The both, yeah. So uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the government because now you're in the capital city. Mm-hmm. You're being persecuted by the government. At the time, the guy who was in charge was the Turkmen Bashi. Is yes, that correct? Yes, he was, the, yeah. The father of all father Turkmen. Father of all Turkmen. As I understand it, he wrote a book that he said was equal to the Quran? Yeah, kind of. Uh, he, he said that it was equal but then he, he corrected himself a little bit because of the pressure again <laughs> right. from Islamic world. But still, he, he pushed that very harsh, harshly on, hardly on, on people. Like, for example, he, he built the largest mosque. And instead of 
putting the verses of the Quran usually on the mosques, gates, and maybe minarets. You have the writings, inscriptions from Quranic uh, verses. But he made the mosque, Islamic mosque, with the inscription of, from his books on, on the gates. That's, you know, according, if you follow the Islamic you know, law, then it's like a blasphemy. You know, you can't, you can't have a mosque with a different books, you know, inscriptions. Uh, but he did that anyways. He, he wrote that book and he said, and he, he even called the, one of the weekdays as his book day, you know, like a Ruhnama day, you know. It's like a, usually like a Muslims like pray on Fridays, and Jews on Saturdays and Christians Sunday. And he made a, another day for his book. <laughs> but he, he claimed, I mean, he believed in the end, like uh, thinking that he said God spoke to him saying, now's the time to write a new book for your people. And what does Ruknama mean? Uh, Ruknama means that the, is, is a book for your spirit. A book for your spirit. book okay. for your soul. So the pressure of the government was you're not doing what he wants you to. You're, right. you're not promoting the leader, the right. father of the Turkmen. Uh-huh. Why else, like, why would the government attack you for planting churches and leading people to Christ? The local authorities, those who are in, like, a KGB or, you know, the secret services and even the, you know, government, they felt like they have to protect this Islamic identity of Turkmen people. Like, uh, I remember even President on those days, he, Turkmen Bashi said, like, uh, he talked about, like, one of his uh, speeches, he talked about, like, there's a sectants, you know, there's, those are people that, you know, reject our religion and culture, and they're betrayers of our, our religion and nation. Oh, you know, wow. That, that, so he yeah. painted a target yeah. on the he, Christians. He, was, he made that statement, which, uh, which created, like, more pressure on, on Christians. And for, for them, still are, like, after even second president now, they still think that Turkmen cannot be a Christian. And and it's for them it's like a betraying your identity, your nation, your people, your religion, and everything. That's why, like in a sense, they anybody that that feel that they one anybody in that authority feels that they need to protect. Now, like my response, I need to protect my religion, right. kind of, and they have that response. Response same way. But now they have authority. They have power, yeah. The power, then they enforce that more so, and more. So what happened to you? What What did persecution look like in your case? The persecution, I mean, uh, in the beginning, they were like kind of raiding our church meetings, house churches, and then banning us to, to, to have a meetings. You know, early stage, each time, I mean, I, I was a trained lawyer. According to the Constitution, you can choose your religion, not to choose your religion. But they they claimed that, but in reality they were going against those like uh, uh, our rights. And in a sense, I was like trying to protect our community and saying, "Hey, you know, you 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 guys chose this. Now we have constitution, we have secular government. Why are you doing this?" But they were like, "Yeah, you know, but we follow the orders. Yeah, you know, uns- unwritten orders from from above." And I couldn't believe that. You know, I was no, it shouldn't be that way. But they increased the persecution as as we rejected to stop gathering, stop preaching, sharing, and and they they one time they they wrote a big article in a central newspaper. They wrote an article about me saying I'm criminal leader of these sects, you know, you know, betrayer that like works for the foreign governments, and they, you know, trying to smear you, your name, 
and scare people that that right. will not associate with me and and that was a one one way of doing it putting different kind of pressures one time they came and arrested me several times they arrested me and and they sent me back to my village thinking banning me coming back to the capital city and then when i returned back they they took my in turkmenistan usually to live in a city you have to have a permit from the government and they canceled my permit uh, and banned me legally staying in the capital city and then they another time they arrested me then they came uh, into our apartment and my wife and two children three four years old they throw them into the street all our belongs they they sealed our doors and banned us to to enter and we were like homeless didn't know where to go. You know, all our belongings were on the streets. My wife crying with the two baby. Yeah, different ways of uh, you know increasing pressure more and more. You could put a stop to this by what? By saying, "Okay, I'll be a Muslim again," or by saying, "Okay, I won't tell anyone about Jesus." Yeah, they, or? they don't care necessarily. Probably, you know, whether I will say like I'm Muslim again or something like that. But they they cared more. I will stop every activity that I was. So doing. no more church. Meetings, no more church planting. No more no evangelism. No, no, yeah, no preaching. Then we'll like leave that. you alone. No, yeah, we'll leave you alone. Just believe in yourself. Maybe you can do, but don't don't do any okay. Christian activity. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.